Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. I'm elated to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Uh, today we have something very special for you. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and if you'll take a look at this over here in the display case, it is a piece of ancient technology, although it is ancient, maybe from long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is quite advanced by our standards. It is circular and flat in shape and has a bit of a lens in the center. This probably not unlike what might be used by advanced civilizations across the stars to project holographic messages. And not unlike something we might see in today's topic of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the Disney Plus limited series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. For anyone of my age who grew up in the mid to late 70s through the early 80s, you were a Star Wars fan, especially if you were a young boy. I mean, there were a lot of young girls who were Star Wars fans, but that was really, uh, at that time, a, a story geared towards young boys, and I was no different than any of the other kids I played with at school. You know, I went to school with my Star Wars action figures. I stuck, snuck them into my book bag. Uh, we'd play them on the playgrounds. Uh, I had my Star Wars lunchbox. My best friend and I acted out scenes from Star Wars on the weekends whenever we'd spend the night at his house or my house. Star Wars was just part of everyday life growing up in the late 70s and early 80s. There's not a day goes by that I am not making some sort of Star Wars reference or Star Wars quote. Of course, uh, being a huge Han Solo fan, I'm usually quoting him. But even with this podcast, when I open the show with hello there or some variation on that, that is a tribute to Sir Alec Guinness and his line from uh, the original Star Wars. So needless to say, I have been quite excited uh, I know everyone bitches about Disney taking over Star Wars and Lucasfilms, and we'll we'll talk about that later. But you know, as a Gen Xer growing up in in the time of the original trilogies, I'm just glad for the Star Wars universe to have more original content, more new content. So I'm I was just excited to hear that they were finally going to do the much anticipated, often talked about series on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And while I'm not a huge fan of the prequel trilogy, uh, for, that's a topic for another show altogether, another episode altogether. One of the bright spots of the prequel trilogy was the fact that Ewan McGregor uh, did a really good and I think faithful uh, rendition of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So really excited to see that he was coming back to be... Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi 10 years later in the Star Wars timeline and picking up maybe not where he left off with Revenge of the Sith but like I said 10 years later he's picking up where where Obi-Wan would be and in this limited series it's 10 years after uh, the events of Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan is on Tatooine living the hermit lifestyle that Luke Skywalker mentioned in A New Hope we see Obi-Wan kind of uh, watching Luke and, and keeping an eye on him. And for reasons we'll kind of get into later, he's really given up uh, use of the Force, being a practitioner of the Jedi way of life. And while a lot of people, and, and I myself thought that this was going to be a series about Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it was going to be a little more geared towards his relationship to Luke Skywalker, we kind of got an about face. And this series became more about a young Princess Leia, which I thought was really cool. And, and for reasons we'll get into in a little bit. But now I'm just kind of giving you a synopsis of the series. Princess Leia is kidnapped. Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smits, he makes a, a great return to the series. And he enlists the help of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's kind of reluctant. He's kind of the reluctant hero in this. 
he wants Obi-Wan to go find her. And we find out uh, through various machinations that Princess Leia was kidnapped because the Inquisitors, if you know anything about the Star Wars Rebels animated series, the Inquisitors are, are a big part of that series. But the Inquisitors are after any rogue Jedi that were left after Order 66. And one in particular, Reva, also known as the Third Sister, is specifically after Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we find out she is the reason behind the kidnapping of Princess Leia. But Obi-Wan Kenobi tracks down Princess Leia, and those two are kind of on the run uh, after, after the rescue, trying to get her back to Alderaan. And that's kind of the basic plot of, of where we get going with this story. Now, I think what we're going to do, I'm not going to go through this uh, this series scene by scene or episode by episode. We're going to look at this through the lens of the different actors and what their characters were about and what their characters brought to the table. And then we'll kind of discuss some of the, the overarching themes and things like that. But I'm not going to do a, a breakdown of every scene for you. Uh, just because there's a lot going on here. And if, you, if you've watched it, you know. Uh, if you haven't watched it, then I don't want to spoil too much. But there are going to be some spoilers as to what went on in Obi-Wan Kenobi. And like I said, Ewan McGregor just does a great job in the spirit of Alec Guinness with Obi-Wan. You know, he just does uh, these just great little movements. Obi-Wan would do this thing where he crosses his arm, uh, his one arm across his chest and holds his, the other elbow with the hand up to his face. Uh, Alec Guinness did that, and and that was a thing Obi Wan did in the first series, or first movie, A New Hope, and Ewan McGregor was very conscientious to to repeat that that little movement of the you know that little posture that Obi Wan has to to bring some continuity to it. But we find Obi Wan really traumatized by the events of Revenge of the Sith. And I've heard a lot of reviewers and a lot of critics talking about, oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, he's this master Jedi, and we meet him, and he can barely move a thing across a whatever, a pebble across what have you. Well, you got to take a look at it from his standpoint. Uh, you're looking at it as a fanboy uh, viewer who has watched all these movies a billion times and the last time you saw Obi-Wan could do that and now he can't. Well, you have to take into consideration that Obi-Wan Kenobi feels like the Jedi's failed. He feels like he failed. He failed Anakin. He's the one that killed Anakin and doesn't realize that Anakin is still alive as Darth Vader. He believes failed him as a brother. He failed him as a Jedi master. He failed him in every way possible and then killed him. How traumatizing that must be for somebody to have done that to somebody that they considered their brother, no matter how horribly they were acting at the time. So he feels like he failed Anakin. He feels like he failed the Jedi Order. He feels maybe like he failed the Force, if if that's even a thing. So of course, the guy is is going into hiding. He doesn't want to have anything to do with being a Jedi. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Force because the last time he was a part of that, he failed his friend so horribly. So of course he's going to stop doing it. Of course he's going to... You know, I heard somebody say, well, he's a Jedi Master, you know, here he is doing all, all these things, and now he can't do them. Well, you know, if you stop using your right arm for any extended period of time, and then try to start using it again, of course it's not going to be easy. Of course it's going to hurt. Of course it's going to be uh, hard for you. Why wasn't Luke able to just start lifting objects with his mind just because of the Force? The Force... I got to imagine there's a bit of muscle memory, quote unquote, muscle memory in it, where if you haven't used it in a long time, it's probably harder to get in touch. And when you've kind of distanced yourself from that, it is going to take a little while. It is going to take some retraining. Uh, I heard some people say, or one reviewer say, well, Yoda was on Dagobah and he wasn't practicing the force and he was able to lift Luke's ship out of the water. Well, how do you know he wasn't practicing the Force? Just because he was there by himself doesn't mean he wasn't meditating, doesn't mean he wasn't keeping his mind spry for his eight, nine hundred years of age. So the the arguments for this are, are weak at best. And ultimately, 
we are talking about space wizards lifting things with their minds. It's not real. Just go with the GD flow. It makes sense if you stop trying to make it not make sense. But it's really kind of sad to see Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi in this just kind of mundane existence where he goes to work every day. He's cutting meat out of out of this big sand creature in some sort of makeshift processing plant. Goes home, does it all again. It's just a very mundane, regimented life for him. And it's a very sad life. He seems like a very sad character. And then when Bail Organa comes knocking, he doesn't want to be the hero. He doesn't want to do this. He, he doesn't want to be a part of this. When the Inquisitors come to Tatooine and they're looking for Jedi, you could feel the fear of being caught. Which made, I think, that scene with, with him and Owen, Joel Edgerton uh, returns as Owen Lars. And uh, I, I thought I think he does a great job with this. He really feels like an older version of the original actor from A New Hope. But all the scenes with him and, and Ewan McGregor just felt so real. And so there, you know, you can feel the tension between these two characters. Owen just wants to to raise Luke as a normal child. Obi Wan, even though he's he's distanced himself from the Force, he realizes that Luke needs to be trained in it eventually. And well, I don't know as if he's ready to do it. Uh, he's pressuring Owen Lars to to prepare Luke for this, which causes a great strain. So when when Reva and the other Inquisitors come looking for Jedi, uh, the fact that Owen doesn't give up Obi Wan is is such a, a a big scene for him, a powerful scene for him as to the kind of man he is, an honorable man, and 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 why he was the right person to raise Luke, but also the fear in Obi-Wan's face when he's afraid that because of that rift between the two, Owen and himself, uh, he's afraid that Owen Lars might give him up. The other dynamic I really liked is the one between Obi-Wan and the young Princess Leia. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the actress that plays her, but these two together just made such a a great buddy film almost reminded me a little bit of ryan o'neill and tatum o'neill in paper moon that kind of dynamic the young princess leia is very much like the older version of herself feisty and sassy and doesn't take any shit from anyone <laughs> sort of uh sort of vibe and obi-wan's just trying to get her to listen to him and the scenes where obi-wan is kind of talking about padme uh, without necessarily saying her name and without necessarily saying that she's he's talking about uh, Leia's mother it's just there's such a sadness and it kind of kind of plays into the you know there is kind of this fan theory going around that Obi-Wan had a thing with Padme or a thing for Padme uh, whether they were just friends whether he had some un unrequited feelings for her whatever but it, it just played into the sadness of at the very least the sadness of losing somebody he cared very much about uh, whether it's a it was a friend or more Ewan McGregor played that sadness quite well and I've already mentioned her so we might as well talk about her Vivian Lear Blair played a young Leia Organa. She's supposed to be 10 years old in this. I think the actress was probably closer to nine when, when they filmed this. But at any rate, she just did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, kid actors can be tricky. Uh, sometimes they don't feel like they're playing a character. Uh, she felt like she was playing a young Princess Leia. Like I said, you know, when you talk about Carrie Fisher's performance in the original trilogy this performance from vivian lear blair really kind of emulated that it was a great homage to the carrie fisher portrayal and i gotta i gotta chalk that up well the actress of course uh, had to play that part but i think it was a, a great job in the directors uh to really kind of coax that feel out of her so a great job all around, and she's such an adorable little kid, and like I said, so full of spunk and a little spitfire, and her delivery of these smart-ass remarks are just awesome. When Obi-Wan at one point says that he's going to play her father, and she says grandfather maybe, uh, 
the line is just delivered with such a great bit of snarkiness that really kind of felt in the spirit of Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia. And the whole relationship between these two really kind of spoke to why Princess Leia was asking Obi-Wan for help at the beginning of A New Hope. It's this older man who helped her before. It was, you know, maybe 10 years or, or more prior, but she she remembers him, probably doesn't remember too much about him, but, but she remembers him enough to know that he served her father in the Clone Wars and she, he helped her before he can help her again. Uh, he's a powerful Jedi. So it, it really kind of lends itself to explaining why Princess Leia would have gone, you know, before it was like, oh, well, Obi-Wan served with her father during the Clone Wars. That's why she's going after him. But there was a more personal reason. So it really kind of helps that scene have a little more gravity and a little more reason to the rhyme when you think about it, given this new information. Now, one of the new characters to the story was the third sister also called Reva, played by uh, Moses Ingram. And I, you know, this is such a, a hot button issue these days because we'll, we'll get this out of the way first. One, a lot of people gave this actress a hard time on social media uh, saying horrible things, saying racist things, implying that she only got the job as a diversity hire. And, and I think that's bullshit. Anybody who, who does that, does that sort of bullying online, is a piece of trash. And that sort of stuff is is not called for. I've seen many people who work in the Star Wars universe, Ewan McGregor I think was one of them, that pretty much have said that Star Wars is full of beings and creatures of all shapes, colors, sizes, and there's room enough for everyone in the Star Wars universe. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I thought... It was a really interesting choice for the Reva character because Moses Ingram doesn't have a vast body of work as far as uh, TV and film goes. I mean, she's kind of new to the the scene. I think her first was uh, a role in a short film in 2018. She was in the Queen's Gambit in 2020. Actually, was nominated for for some awards for that. So, in her short time of acting, at least you know on a stage of television and film she's accomplished uh she's accomplished quite a bit my only problem is is that i just don't know as if she was the right actress for this particular role the reva character we find out was a youngling during order 66 she was essentially killed she was stabbed by anakin aka darth vader left for dead but she survived and like a lot of younglings and a lot of jedis they, who turned to the dark side after order 66 uh, she became an Inquisitor and began hunting Jedi. Now we find out, and, and this is a, a pretty big spoiler, we find out it's all a ruse. Uh, she's just trying to get close to Darth Vader. She feels that getting Obi-Wan Kenobi will get her close enough to Darth Vader so she can exact her revenge on him. She kidnaps Princess Leia, I'm assuming because... Uh, Bail Organa, his relationship with Obi-Wan, she figures that he would uh, get Obi-Wan to come rescue her. I, I, the, you know, the logic there is a little sketchy and a little iffy, but I think that was the, the reasoning behind that. During a confrontation between Reva and Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan realizes that she's not after him, she's after Vader, and she's using him as bait, where Obi-Wan later kind of turns the table and he uh, gives himself up so he can bring Vader to her so she can do what she wants to, and that is to cut Vader down, which does not go well for her. And and then we find this character on this weird arc towards the end of the, the uh, series where I, I'm guessing she deduces because of a hologram recording from, from Bail Organa where she talks about uh, Obi-Wan going to Tatooine and looking after Luke. Uh, I think she deduces that Luke is maybe Anakin slash Vader's son, uh, and she goes after Luke Skywalker. And it, it has kind of a, you know, she has a change of heart at the end and doesn't strike Luke down. She actually, he falls and, and hurts himself. She brings him back to the, uh, the Lars family and Obi-Wan and kind of has this redemptive moment where she realizes that she's becoming like Anakin and Vader. How Anakin killed younglings because of his turn to the dark side. She was about to kill Luke for the same reason and, and for revenge and for anger and, and, and these sorts of things. And she realizes she's 
turning into him and and doesn't want to repeat the mistakes that, that he made. I just, my issue is, and, and it's not even just with Moses Ingram as Reva, it's with the character in and of itself. Uh, the character really just has no reason. She's somebody tangible to be going after Obi-Wan Kenobi hard and heavy and fast at the beginning. But then that doesn't really play into it because she doesn't even get to Vader because of that. She gets to Vader because Obi-Wan brings him to her. She's doing all this. She's set all this stuff into motion so she can kill Vader. And she doesn't even get a really good opportunity to do that because Vader senses it right away. And we don't even really get a good lightsaber battle between the two of them. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's been defeated by, by Vader again, left for dead after a lightsaber wound to the gut and she's going after Luke Skywalker. And then that doesn't even really have any repercussions because she has a change of heart at the end and her and Obi-Wan have a touching moment and it's over. So the, the character just didn't really seem, I mean, they had a redemption arc, but not one I really cared about. And her story arc in general felt weak and quite predictable. And like I said, I, I guess I have a little bit of a problem with the performance from Moses Ingram in this, because when it came to the drama, when it came to the sadness at the end, the remorse and the change of heart, the turning from the dark side at the end, she does a really good job with the emotion and that sort of performance, the dramatic performance. There are scenes where she's kind of talking about her her past, that she does a really good job with the drama of it. But when it came to her being a bad guy, it just wasn't believable. She came across, especially early on, when she's, you know, yelling and making commands and and showing all this rage, it felt like a caricature of a, a good person. And, and, and I, I'm assuming... And I think it's probably not a, a great assumption. Uh, I think she's she's probably a really good person. Uh, any of the interviews I've seen of her, uh, Moses Ingram seems like a, a really good person. But it felt like a good person, how they think a bad guy should sound. And it just didn't come across as natural. And I chalk that up to the fact that, you know, she's fairly young in her career as far as movies and and. TV and maybe portraying characters like that is something that she'll get more comfortable with over time. Just right now in her career, it just didn't come across. Her playing a bad guy just didn't come across as as natural and didn't come across as compelling as I wanted this character to be. And there were times it really felt like uh, she wasn't playing a Star Wars character. She was playing herself as a Star Wars character. Which, I, I don't know. I mean, there are actors that can kind of pull that off to a degree. But this is the Star Wars universe. And I want to see these actors transform into characters. I don't want to feel like I'm watching and special guest appearance by as so-and-so. That's kind of how the Kamel Nanjiani character felt in this. And I, I love Kamel Nanjiani. I think he's a hilarious comedian. I think he's hilarious in comedic roles. Uh, I think he's really good in dramatic roles as well when he's not doing the whole Kamel Nanjiani shtick. I really liked a lot of his work in The Eternals. I felt like he was playing a character. In this, he's playing Haja. He's playing like a, this con artist who uh, dupes people into thinking that he is a Jedi. Uh, but he's doing it for a good reason. He's helping getting uh, parents with young kids who are force sensitive off of this planet that they're on and kind of uh, working with the resistance, what's what's becoming the rebellion. He's kind of working with them. So he's kind of a shyster, but he's the con man with a heart of gold sort of situation. Uh, there are some instances where it felt like, oh God, this is just Kamel Nanjiani dressed up like a Jedi. And then there were other scenes where he was actually doing some really good acting and and I believe that he was this character, Haja. So I was kind of, you know, it was a, a hit or miss with this character as to when I really liked the performance and where it was just like, okay, this is a special guest star as so-and-so. Felt like the old TV series from the from the 80s, like Love Boat, where they had the special guest star and they were just being themselves as so-and-so. You didn't really get a performance out of it. Another actor I, I kind of felt the same way about was O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube's son. 
he played Roken, who is like a, a up and coming leader in the rebellion. I mean, that's kind of where it's set up as the at the end, where Obi Wan tasks him to to keep being a leader. Unfortunately, we never see this character again in Star Wars because this happened after all the other movies were made. But sometimes it felt like him just playing himself as a rebel leader, and not that he was playing a character, and. You know, I, I can't blame the actors for this all the time because I, in some of the regards, it's in the writing as well. There was a certain style of writing. It felt very, I don't want to say Shakespearean, but it felt very like of the theater in the original Star Wars. Whereas a lot of Star Wars uh, movies and series these days feel like they're writing dialogue the way people would say things today. That's the biggest problem I had with the Poe Dameron character. I love Oscar Isaac. I love the idea of this character. This character could have been really cool, but Jesus God Almighty, if I had to hear him say, hey buddy, one more time to BB-8, to Finn, to anybody that was walking by, hey buddy, hey buddy, hey buddy. It got really annoying. I was like, I don't know as if people in the Star Wars universe would talk in today's lexicon or, or better yet, today's vernacular. And maybe the hey buddy is a bad example of that, but but you see a lot of that in the newer Star Wars stuff. It's, it's being written as people say things now. And I think Star Wars works best when it feels like they're talking in jargon of that time and space. And it just didn't get that. It felt like the Roken character was plucked out of any TV series set in modern day. And that's not a that's not bashing O'Shea Jackson Jr. because he's got to deliver the lines they write. But it just it just didn't feel like a Star Wars character in the dialogue. Now the one character I did really like, and I like the performance of it, was the Tala character played by Indira Varma. Of course, we know her as Ilaria San from uh, Game of Thrones for all the uh, Game of Thrones fans out there. But she plays an Imperial officer who's kind of like a, a woman on the inside. She's she's working for the rebellion, helping the rebellion, helps Obi Wan. I think they originally envisioned her as a love interest for Obi Wan, but I'm really glad they didn't do that. They maybe hinted that they're was a, a relationship before or that there could be a relationship but i'm glad they, they kept the romance out of that and just allowed these two actors to be their own characters and and i thought indira varma did a an awesome job as this tala character the writing in this character her delivery of the lines of this character just were very believable felt like it fit in this universe. <laughs> Another uh, special guest actor that, that really kind of took me out of this was Zach Braff. Did vocal work for a, a CG character called Freck. He's uh, kind of driving this truck that picks up Obi-Wan and Leia. But yeah, his performance was, yeah, it just, it sounded like a cartoon character and sounded so out of place. It felt like uh, the Ernest Borgnine character from the prequel trilogy. His voice just sounded so out of place and so like Ernest Borgnine has just a a very distinct voice and very distinct delivery. And when you write dialogue for Ernest Borgnine to speak the way he does, he's going to deliver it the way he does. And it just, it, that took me so out of the movie when that came across and sounded so out of place. Zach Braff's portrayal of Freck kind of did the same thing for me. It's not, not to say he's a bad actor. It's not to say that any of these actors are bad actors or they did a bad job. It's just, uh, I just sometimes question the writing for these characters and if the delivery couldn't have been done a little different to make these feel like real characters instead of just actors reading a bunch of lines in modern day vernacular. Another actress I really enjoyed was uh, Simone Kessel. She played uh, Brea Organa. She is the queen of Alderaan, the adoptive mother of Leia. And she's not an actress I'm really that familiar with, but she did a spectacular job. She She kind of played that she just played the the typical mother who is always after her daughter to do the right thing but understanding when she doesn't because she knows she's just like her father and she just she really played this this mother uh, quite well and while obi-wan makes a comment at the end to leia how she has her mother's love and sensitivity but the father's um fire and spirit and passion. I think you could also see bits of Bail Organa and Brea Organa in Leia as well. 
and these actors, uh, Jimmy Smits and Simone Kessel, really kind of uh, portray those bits of Leia that they imparted in these characters of theirs imparted into her. Uh, they play that well uh, on top of it. And one more guest appearance that we're going to talk about before we get into one of the biggest characters of this series, other than Obi-Wan Kenobi or Princess Leia, was the character Vect Nokru, uh, played by Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea. This was such a, this was a fun cameo because it was very brief. He was only in it for like part of two episodes. It really did take me out of it because Flea is so iconic. I He popped on the screen. I expected him to start playing the bass line from Warped or Higher Ground or something like that. But it was a fun cameo because it was a cameo in the truest sense. Like I said, he was only in it briefly. The getup he was wearing almost looked like I, I expected him to have like a band t-shirt on underneath that uh, kind of uh, long jacket he was wearing. And while some of the other actors don't have the excuse for not the greatest performances, uh, Flea, Flea's not an actor. He's a, he's a rock star and he's got an excuse for just kind of not coming across as a real, not a Star Wars character. It, it felt... Uh, he just felt like a he felt like a special guest star in the purest form, but it was fun to see him show up and see what character he was playing. But I think one character everyone was looking forward to, other than seeing Ewan McGregor reprise his role as Obi Wan Kenobi, or surprisingly seeing Princess Leia, played by uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, be more of a focus of this series than Luke. I think people were most excited about Hayden Christensen. Uh, returning as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. And the one thing I thought was really cool, I mean, they could have easily put a stuntman in the suit, but no, it was actually Hayden Christensen in the Darth Vader suit. And one of the things I thought was really cool because, you know, Darth Vader's movements uh, are almost as iconic as the character. I mean, David Prowse had a particular way of moving, whether it is his brisk walk across the bridge of a Star Destroyer or the way he kind of turns his head or the way he kind of, you know, does an about face. He just had very distinct movements as Darth Vader. And they actually brought in a movement coach, a motion coach for Hayden Christensen so he could get those those movements down and he nailed it uh you watched him as darth vader and just the movements it felt very much like david prowse in the original star wars trilogy the different moves whether they be very distinct or very subtle were just spot on when it came to how darth vader moved in those original uh tr that original trilogy uh they emulated that perfectly with Hayden Christensen. And then not only did he have that, but they had a couple scenes where uh, Obi-Wan is having some flashbacks. Uh, they did have one scene where you see a Clone Wars era Hayden Christensen having a lightsaber training duel with Obi-Wan. Uh, Hayden Christensen was, uh, they didn't do a very good job of de-aging him. They gave him the little uh, rat tail and the spiky haircut, but they, they missed some of his uh, laugh lines and get a little bit of a jowl action going on there. I, I thought they could have used some de-aging. If they did use de-aging software on him, they didn't do a very good job of that because he looked like a 40-year-old Hayden Christensen <laughs> trying to play a late teens, early 20s Anakin Skywalker. But other than that, the scenes were really interesting. It, it showed Anakin's progression to the dark side a, a little more which was interesting to watch uh the two scenes with obi-wan and darth vader that we have lightsaber battles the first one was just so stunning because it was in the dark the lightsaber glows were so vibrant uh you had the scene with the fire and darth vader dragging obi-wan through the fire trying to burn him like obi-wan burned anakin the real helplessness and the way Vader seemed to be toying with Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan really hadn't begun using the Force again. He's just you know, trying to start to recall that muscle memory of Force use. And it was such a, such a great scene to see him in this weakened state and juxtapose that with the fight we see at the end where Obi-Wan's starting to get back in touch with the Force and we have a really great lightsaber battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi in the the final episode that really kind of made the wait all worthwhile. 
And then you had that great scene where Obi-Wan kind of slashes Darth Vader's helmet after he's kind of kicked his ass a little bit. It, it breaks open the helmet and you see the Darth Vader helmet with this sliver of Anakin's face coming through. It was really kind of a mirror image of a very similar scene, a, a lightsaber battle between Ahsoka and Darth Vader in the Star Wars Rebels series. Uh, it almost, uh, almost the same in look. Uh, of Darth Vader uh, with the cracked helmet and some of the dialogue uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure was was if not very similar maybe even spot on uh, lifted right from the Star Wars Rebels series and I love what they did with the audio on that where at some points you're hearing Hayden Christensen's voice and then sometimes it slips into James Earl Jones because yeah James Earl Jones if you didn't know uh, if you hadn't watched this and, and you don't care about spoilers, uh, James Earl Jones reprises the, his role as the voice of Darth Vader. But in the scene at the, the end, you, it kind of slips back and forth with this broken mask between Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones. And sometimes like a mixture of the two voices, given the dialogue, it was just really cool. And, and they had this great scene where Anakin essentially says that Obi-Wan didn't kill Anakin. Darth Vader killed Anakin, which there again kind of calls back to when Obi-Wan tells Luke that Vader killed his father. He wasn't lying. And when he, he talks about it in Return of the Jedi, where Obi-Wan says uh, that... Vader did kill kill Anakin from a certain point of view. He wasn't lying. It came from Vader slash Anakin's mouth himself that Vader killed Anakin. Obi-Wan didn't have anything to do with it. And that kind of absolves Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan has spent this time torturing himself, pushing himself away from the Force uh, because he felt his involvement in the Jedi Order and his relationship with Anakin were all failed because uh, he killed Anakin. He couldn't be enough to keep Anakin from turning to the dark side. And he had to kill his friend, his brother. And now he realized that he had nothing to do with it. Anakin essentially killed Anakin. Or, or better put, Darth Vader killed that spark of goodness, the, the Anakin inside of him. When he fully went to the dark side and this persona of Darth Vader, the evil inside of him, uh, took over and snuffed out any good that was Anakin left to him. Uh, yeah, you know, Obi-Wan had nothing to do with that. Obi-Wan couldn't control that. It was Darth Vader that he was fighting in the lava flows of Mustafar. It was Darth Vader that he thought he killed, not Anakin. And of course, Darth Vader lives. Obi-Wan lives. You know, Obi-Wan leaves him in his broken state. Uh, Darth Vader at the end is ready to pursue Obi-Wan, but uh, the Emperor played by Ian McDermott, essentially tells him that he is letting his past rule his future and, you know, he needs to kind of fall in line and keep focused on what their real plans are. So Darth Vader, as a dutiful servant to his master, puts Obi-Wan behind him. And that's why when the events of A New Hope happen, that he is not still obsessed with Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's actually forgotten about him. When they finally meet, ah, my old master. So I kind of expected it. Wasn't terribly shocked to see Ian McDermott reprise his role as Palpatine for at least that one little scene. Anthony Daniels, we got to see him briefly as C-3PO. I thought we might get an R2-D2 appearance at some point, but we never really did. We did see some R2 units, but not R2-D2. And then at the very end, we finally get to see uh, Owen and Obi-Wan kind of kind of make amends. Obi-Wan is going to go deeper into the desert across the Dune Sea and become even more of a recluse and hermit, but obviously still uh, involved with the Force. Uh, he finally gets to meet Luke Skywalker officially and give him the Model T-16 that he's playing with in A New Hope. And as Obi-Wan's riding off, of course, through this whole time, back in Revenge of the Sith, uh, Yoda kind of alluded to the fact that Obi-Wan would be able to talk to his old master. Through this series, Obi-Wan keeps trying to make contact with Qui-Gon Jinn's Force Ghost, and it's just not happening. 
And you knew it was going to happen sooner or later. It's, it's kind of like the old, you don't pull out a gun in the first act and not use it in the third act. You don't invoke the name of Qui-Gon Jinn uh, in the first act and not pay it off in the third act. And we finally do get to see the Force Coast, although it is probably one of the more awkward scenes. Obi-Wan's riding along on this camel-like creature, and Qui-Gon Jinn's Force Coast is just there, uh, almost like a hitchhiker waiting for a ride. But Obi-Wan is like, oh, I thought, you know, I called for you. I thought you weren't there. And Qui-Gon says the line, and I'm paraphrasing, that he was always there. Obi-Wan just wasn't ready to hear him. And kind of playing into the fact that Obi-Wan is now finally back immersed in the Force and at one with it. And he and Qui-Gon can, can have lots of Force Ghost conversations. Although I do have to admit, the wig that they had on Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn looked awkward. The one part of his hair like stuck out because they just didn't have it tamed quite right is it was it looked like a bad wig so all in all i i really like the obi-wan kenobi series i think uh, a lot of reviewers a lot of critics have been bad mouthing it just because it's disney it's it's cool to shit on disney and all the disney products and all the disney properties because disney's big corporation and we don't like that you know wh whatever it's like the meme that i've seen going around <laughs> With millennials and Gen Zs fighting over, are the prequels better, are the sequels better, and you've got the Gen Xer off to the side, just happy to have some more uh, live-action Star Wars content. I think you have a lot of people critiquing uh, Star Wars stuff, especially Disney Star Wars stuff. They don't like Disney, they don't like Star Wars to begin with, so they're, they're obviously going to badmouth it. Or you get these reviewers that think The Last Jedi is the greatest Star Wars film ever uh, because it subverted expectations. And you know what? Newsflash, Star Wars has never been about subverting expectations. If you want to watch something that subverts your expectations, Star Wars isn't the thing. And Ryan Johnson, while I appreciate what he was trying to do, actually effed things up for that for that trilogy not that it wasn't ill-conceived from the get-go because they were going to have different people writing it different people directing it i think star wars works best when it's a, a, a unified vision of one maybe two people but you get these reviewers that think that you know star wars isn't good now if you, they just give the fans what they want uh, you have to have your expectations subverted. You have to do things differently. And, and and newsflash, Ryan Johnson didn't do anything that subversive. His whole thing was that you don't have to be a Skywalker to be a Jedi. Well, no shit. Not all Jedis were Skywalkers. The only reason that the series has focused on the Skywalkers is because the Jedis were essentially wiped out after Order 66 and Revenge of the Sith. The only Jedis left that we knew about were Luke Skywalker, uh, Darth Vader, and Obi-Wan, two of which were Skywalkers. It was quite ignorant to, to do a movie under the guise that only Skywalkers could be Jedis when everybody knows. Everybody knew. Nobody nobody thought that. Anybody that thought that wasn't paying attention to the freaking series. But Ryan Johnson was making an argument that wasn't even an argument. Of course, anybody could could wield the force. You just had to be, to be able to get in touch with it. Some people were more inclined to be in touch with it. Luke Skywalker's bloodline, thanks to the whole midi-chlorians BS, uh, made him probably more inclined and more uh, susceptible to being able to manipulate the force. But it's not to say that nobody could, other than him and his bloodline. So if the little kid using the force to move a broom really get your blood going i hate to tell you but that kid could have done it in any other star wars movies because the force was never predicated on being a skywalker so my rant aside yeah you know you get you get a lot of those reviewers that want their expectations subverted and they want to you know what what did you want from obi-wan kenobi this is happening before A New Hope. You can't kill off Obi-Wan. You can't kill off Vader. There are certain things that have to be in place for New Hope to work. And if you change that, then you screw the timeline up. Was this series necessary? Probably not. Was it fun and really cool to watch? Yeah. 
Uh, I, like anybody, wanted to see what Obi-Wan Kenobi was doing in those years between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. Do I want to see more? Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing more. I know Ewan McGregor has said that he would be on board for doing another season of Kenobi. Right now, they're just treating it as a limited series, a one-off. But uh, but I would be inclined to watch another series uh, of Obi-Wan Kenobi because I think if you take Luke and Leia out of the equation and just do something with Obi-Wan. That way you don't have to worry too much about messing with the timeline. You don't involve Darth Vader. Maybe you could involve some of the other characters from Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels. Maybe bring the Reva character back as a, a full-fledged good guy and give her character uh, a bit more of a story arc. I think that could be quite interesting. And I know we're going to get a lot of those characters in some of the upcoming series, like uh, the Ahsoka series and, and stuff like that. But uh, But there's... There's room for more stories. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan's got another 10 years before New Hope. He could do a lot in those 10 years. <laughs> or at least one more adventure. So I really like this series. I liked a lot of the themes. There were lots of themes of redemption. Whether it's Obi-Wan's redemption from what he thought he did to Anakin. Whether it's Reva's redemption from how she dealt with her trauma in the wrong and in the worst ways. Redemption was a, a huge theme of this series. I think there are some underlying themes when when Obi-Wan and Leia are escaping with Roken and and all these different peoples, adults with their their kids, parents with their kids who are, are force sensitive and and Obi-Wan makes the statement that they're all the future speaking of the rebellion, but I think in a greater sense, speaking of the Star Wars universe and the Star Wars fandom, uh, I, I think it speaks to what was being said about Moses Ingram and and that you know what in this room full of peoples of all different uh, races whether it be color of skin or whether you're an alien uh, being or a humanoid being uh, I think there's there's room for everyone they're all the future of this franchise and I think that's a a good message in spite of my feelings of Moses Ingram's performance which uh, I, I liked in some regards in other regards it, I just didn't buy it they chose her as the actress for a reason and it, it's no fan's position to sit there and presume to know why a person was hired and you know what if you think a person was only hired because of the color of their skin keep that shit to yourself because like you know many have said before there's enough room for people of all skin colors and backgrounds in the Star Wars universe and in the Star Wars fandom. It's one thing to have a problem with a performance. It's another thing to have a problem just because somebody doesn't look the way you want them to look. And as far as the look and the sound uh, of this series, uh, on, a, <laughs> on a less serious note, uh, I, I thought this was great. Uh, John Williams, of course, did the theme music uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Natalie Holt was the composer for the score for the rest of the series. And I thought, uh, one, John Williams' stuff is so iconic. Uh, but Natalie Holt, I think, did a, an excellent job of doing new things with the soundtrack while still making it feel like a, a part of the Star Wars universe that is so uh, ingrained in what John Williams has done in the past. So, you know, the, the stuff she did uh, was really good and it really felt like it fit in with the John Williams of Star Wars past, which which I liked. You know, it, it adds continuity and some congruency to the whole uh, to the whole experience. And, and as far as the special effects go, you know, these are limited series these are television series so i don't know as if they're going to get the budget that a big blockbuster movie would uh so sometimes the cg can be a little wonky you know i noticed that in the mandalorian i noticed that in the book of boba fett it's not enough to take me out of it it is enough for me to notice it but, you know, like I said, this is a series and I'm a little more forgiving. I know a lot of people were bitching about green screen work and, and that stuff. I, I didn't find that to be a deal breaker with this. Like I said, this is not a big budget movie that is going to make uh, close to a billion dollars in the first week of, of running. Uh, these are TV series that they're banking on people subscribing to the you know disney plus to be able to watch this so they can't have the budget 
that you know when you're when you're spending budget money on big actors to be in this you know some corners have to be cut other places sometimes the cg takes a little bit of a cut but i don't think the cg was that bad i love the look of it uh, a lot of the practical effects and the practical uh set pieces were really good it felt like a in a world you could immerse yourself in it felt like you were in a star wars uh town or a star wars spaceship i mean Everything was done with such great attention to detail, like so much of the Star Wars universe, except for some of the CG work in the in the prequels. Uh, it, it, they really did a good job of immersing you into this real lived-in alien world that uh, that I quite enjoyed. And you know, it's come something you come to expect, and sometimes not often appreciated. Uh, but I appreciate the attention to detail, creating these worlds that these actors can can do this this space opera in. Uh, so they did a really good job with that as well. So all in all, I really loved Obi Wan Kenobi. I thought it was a a great limited series. If they decide to do another season, uh, more power to them. I'll be watching. Uh, it makes me excited about some of the other adventures they're going to have, some of the other Star Wars uh, series that they're going to have coming out. Of course, the uh, Ahsoka series, I sh think, should be coming out uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Mandalorian Season 3 should be coming out sometime soon, so looking forward to that. That may not be coming out until early next year, though. Uh, but a lot of stuff coming out, a lot of new Star Wars content, and whether you like Disney or not, uh, whether you want to bitch and moan about, uh, you know, what's the better Star Wars movie, which uh, Star Wars era is the best. You know, like me, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm just so excited that we're living in an age where we're getting a shit ton of live action Star Wars content. You know, when I was growing up, Return of the Jedi was the last thing you saw in theaters, and you were peeing yourself with excitement just to get an Ewok Adventures movie or the Droids cartoon series. I mean, you just wanted more Star Wars and there just wasn't anything uh, really good live action to go on. And now that we have all that we have going on with Star Wars right now, it's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. If you're like me, you you're just sitting in back and enjoying the ride uh, and don't pay any mind to the bitchers and moaners out there and the people that are peeing themselves with rage over what Star Wars is best. They're all best. Doesn't mean they're all great, but Jesus Christ, it's Star Wars. Come on, enjoy yourself. So thanks for listening for my thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus Star Wars series, limited series. Uh, hopefully we'll get some more in the near future. Uh, you can always check out what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. Uh, you'll get trailers to the latest series and movies coming out you'll also get articles i'm always sharing articles and things i find all over the internet from various sources kind of pass them along to you there uh, so you can stay on top of everything that's going on with horror fantasy and science fiction uh, no matter where you listen to this podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome also download follow subscribe all that jazz you know how it works so thanks for listening and until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>